Christian Pulisic is like a young Luke Skywalker. He is special, but he still has plenty to learn. So, what you hear is the sound of the collective angst of an American soccer fan base that remains desperate for a hero on the men's side. Yes, we have high expectations for him, but given his talent, they're not unrealistic expectations. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about Christian Pulisic's crisis, question mark. Our Mossy Makes the Case segment, Mossy's going to be talking about Real Madrid versus Barcelona. In our Ask Alexi segment, we'll be talking about favorite game calls in that Hall of Fame induction ceremony. In our back three segment, we'll be talking about Jesse Marsh and so much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mossy, on this Monday morning? As good as I can be given the events in Madison. This <sighs> so this would be Madison, Wisconsin, uh, and this was the site of your Wolverines of Michigan, correct me if I'm wrong, they went there to play American football, collegiate American football, the truest form of American football, let's be honest, and it did not go well? Is that what happened? Did not go well. It did not go well. So last week, we were at least starting to talk about the hashtag Harbaugh out. Has it gained any momentum since this calamitous uh, event? Well, first off, let me say, I found out this weekend that Gus Johnson does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> Because he like said during the telecast, nobody could have predicted this. When in fact, if he had listened to the State of the Union podcast two weeks ago, I said Michigan was going to get pummeled in this game. And did they? It was 35-14, and it wasn't even that close. It wasn't even close. So you're not winning anything this year. No. I mean, you'll go to a bowl because I'm told there's 60 or 70 bowls out there, maybe right. more. Um, so you're going to go to a bowl, but you're not going to go to the bowl, or certainly not the, uh, the championship, right? That final four thing they have? No, definitely not. There are two kinds of Michigan seasons, both unsatisfying. Ones like last season in which we're actually good but fall short of our goals, and ones in which we weren't even any good to begin with and we're completely overrated. This feels like that, and so and we have a tough schedule, so I think we're headed for a four or five loss season. This is going to be a disaster. Well, you know that in, in our industry, uh, and in all sports, the the debate and the discussion about the firing uh, internationally, oftentimes called the sacking of coaches, is uh, is sport. So, on the spot, yes or no? Harbaugh in, Harbaugh out. Well, here's the issue. Michigan fans have been scarred by the fact that the two guys before him, Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, were, were even worse. I mean, they, they know things can get worse. Harbaugh at least guarantees a base level of relevance. And so uh, I think most people are willing to accept a pretty goodsville at this point, winning nine or 10 games, graduating your players. So, so yeah, he's I mean, an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer type yeah, of I mean, thing. Right, yeah, yeah and, and frankly, I'm kind of there too. Uh, I, think, I think we might as well stick with him because we're not going to anybody better. But the notion of him doing anything special at Michigan, that's gone completely by the wayside for me. So Michigan, the University of Michigan, one of the fine institutions, I'm told, in the world, right? Uh, from a sporting perspective, they have great pride and history when it comes to their American football team. They are settling right now. So just mediocrity is what Michigan is all about when it comes to their football. And the M stands for mediocrity. Awesome. Wonderful. All right. Should we light this candle? Yep. All right. Let's do it. As you know, each and every week we kick the pot off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week it goes a little something like this. Christian Pulisic is like a young Luke Skywalker. He is special but he still has plenty to learn. And it remains to be seen if he will ultimately live up to the promise and potential and hope 
that his talent has brought with it. Following his $73 million transfer to Chelsea, hopes were high for the 21-year-old in the English Premier League. But so far, Pulisic has yet to nail down a starting spot. Worse, he's not even getting on the field. So, what you hear is the sound of the collective angst of an American soccer fan base that remains desperate for a hero on the men's side. Now, it's still early days, and all players need time to adjust to new surroundings. But what is concerning is that this Chelsea is not an elite super club version of Chelsea. It's a Chelsea being rebuilt, a Chelsea without the veteran stars we've come to expect, and a Chelsea under a new young manager in Frank Lampard that seems to be reliant on young players. In short, it's exactly the type of team that Christian Pulisic should not only be starting on, but given his Dortmund experience, a team he should be starring on. I still think Pulisic can be successful at Chelsea. Yes, we have high expectations for him, but given his talent, they're not unrealistic expectations. However, we may also have to come to terms with the fact that while Pulisic may go on to be a great American player, like Landon Donovan before him, he may never be the player you want him to be. But that's okay, because maybe somebody else will. It's tempting to see Christian Pulisic as our last hope. But, like Yoda said, there is another. Maybe we just don't know who that is yet. All right, Mossy, there is my State of the Union for uh, today. I, I, just before I, I throw it over to you, I just want to read something that, that Christian Pulisic's coach, I mentioned him, Frank Lampard, said after the game. Because you know he's going to get asked about it. And he said that Christian Pulisic is not a victim of injuries. It's just that I have a squad to pick from. And he said that Christian played before in a few games. But Willian, who uh, started, has come back and has been really, really good. I decided to go with Mason today because we needed to stay strong in the midfield, which insinuates that he's not strong in the midfield, and push Mason up higher on the pitch. It's just my choice to make and he will get ample opportunities in the future. He talks about the fact that Christian is still is still young. Uh, yes, he is young, but is this concerning for people that are fans of Christian Pulisic? It is, yeah. One issue I have is that a lot of Premier League folk are framing this as if Pulisic is struggling with a step up. Mm. Uh, it's a lot more cutthroat in the Premier League than the Bundesliga. It's a lot more cutthroat at Chelsea than Dortmund. The competition for places is much more intense now, nobody disputes the Premier League is better than the Bundesliga, but to me, that's not what's happening here. What we're seeing at Chelsea is actually an extension of what we saw at Dortmund. The story of Christian Pulisic's club career so far is that he's talented enough and has enough moments to always be in the mix, but he's not consistent or productive enough to cement his spot. And, you know, frankly, uh, we covered him for three years in the Bundesliga. I went back and looked. Actually, two seasons ago, he started more games for Dortmund than I remember, but it always felt like he was blowing hot and cold, and we were never totally sure whenever we had a Dortmund game on and we had a lot of Pulisic content in the pregame, there was always that nervous feeling an hour before kickoff when the team sheet comes out. Is he in there? Is he not? So uh, to me, this is just sort of an extension of what we saw at Dortmund. I don't really see it as him struggling with a so-called step up. I, I don't. I mean, look, it is a at times, it may be a step up in terms of the attention. I mean, you're looking at the most popular league in the world. And yes, as I said in the State of the Union, every player that goes to a new situation is going to have some time to adjust. And while we talk about the 90 minutes, the reality is that that other 22 and a half hours that you are adjusting to a new culture, sometimes to a new uh, new language, that's not a problem for him here. But yeah, it's, it, it, it is going to take some time. But while he is young... You know, this has been a player that from a young age took a path less traveled for an American player, at least. And at least initially, it, it has made all the difference. And he was in that, we, we often talk, talk about the, um, 
insulated incubator type of existence that said uh, that Messi has had in uh, at Barcelona and for Christian Pulisic at Dortmund to come over so early and to be it's not coddled that's not a right word but given that warmth and that protection of Dortmund and to and to rise up in the ranks within that system this is his first major move now I know moving from the United States to uh, to Germany was a move but within the playing career and the club career, this is his first major move. And it's a move unprecedented when it comes to the amount of money and the amount, uh, and the amount of uh, attention. I think what, what this comes down to also is, and we talked about this before, and we, we love to build them up. And like many cultures and countries, we at times take incredible glee in, in tearing them down. And that this is a referendum just on American soccer and American soccer players that's an added pressure for Christian Pulisic. And ultimately, it may be, as I said in the State of Union, that Christian Pulisic does not become the player that so many want him to be or be the player that represents what people want him to represent ultimately and that there are other players that, given time, that maybe we didn't talk about or didn't talk about in the, in the lofty way that we talk about Christian Pulisic, that come to fruition after taking different paths and maybe in a, a different timetable uh, than he did. Do you think that there is a way out for him? A, a year from now, what are we doing when we're talking about Christian Pulisic relative to Chelsea? Let's start there. It's tough to say. I'm always leery of situations in which the manager didn't sign the player. Now, yep. big English clubs are generally moving away from giving managers complete power when it comes to transfers. Uh, they're putting more power on the sporting director, and Chelsea have been adamant that that's a direction they're moving in. So even had Sadi still been there, there would have been some question as to what degree he wanted Pulisic. But him having been a manager at the time they signed him, I imagine he at least had some say in that. Now you're bringing in a new manager in Lampard, and people say, well, shouldn't he be playing? You spent $73 million on him. I'm sure Lampard looks at it as, I didn't spend that money, you did. And so, I mean, I think it's a, it's a difficult situation as opposed to years ago when a manager would be the one to decide we're signing this player, we're paying this much. So he knew he would look bad if it didn't work out. So there was a greater level of investment there. I also think the the English thing is a major problem for Pulisic. When he's pitted against William and Pedro, then the sentiment runs in his favor. But when he's pitted against Mason Mount or Hudson Odoi, as he's soon going to be, then the sentiment is going to run against him because they're going to want to see those young English players on the field. And so, I mean, that and, and Lampard seems to be of that mind of wanting to give these young English players a chance so that's going to be a real problem for him yeah but i mean that's to be expected and whether it's him or anybody else you are going to understand that you're going to be uh, up against the interesting thing is and i mentioned it uh, in the state of the union the way that landon donovan was framed for so many years both domestically and internationally and the knock if you will against him over the years what was that he never realized his full potential because he never he never did what people wanted him to do uh, either when he was playing domestically or when he went over uh, overseas coming back, and that he somehow shirked this responsibility, this BS responsibility that he seems to have to the American soccer community to do what, what we or, or, or some feel is the appropriate thing. But there was always this um, juxtaposition with someone like Clint Dempsey, and the type of person and player that Clint Dempsey was relative to the type of person that Landon Donovan was, they were playing off of each other. And you had a, you know, the Dempsey camp and the Landon Donovan camp, and we can argue about who, who was best uh, going forward, and everybody has their own opinions. And they, they went about their business and their lives very, very differently. And I'm, I'm wondering who's going to come up and challenge Christian Pulisic either – out of des by design or just the way that the, the, the that people like to pit players against each other and kind of give people because 
I don't think that Christian Pulisic, yes, he took that path that a lot of people wanted him to take. And in doing that, I think he garnered a tremendous amount of attention and praise, uh, and, right, and rightfully so. You know, he, he, he did it. He went to Europe as if that changes everything in, in, in a player's life. But he's not, he's not a big personality. As a matter of fact, he's oftentimes very standoffish when it comes when it comes to the press. Yes, he's yes he's still young. He's not a leader per se in the traditional sense in game in and game out. He's very unassuming and quiet in the way that he goes about his business. I wonder if there's going to be that counterforce that arises and who that person is to say I am the anti-Christian Pulisic and get on my back now. That doesn't mean that that player is going to come up domestically or, or, or playing, uh, playing overseas or something like that. But I think that there is a opportunity, I guess, which is not the, the, the right word, but it's the only one I can think of right now, for a player to come up and put himself in contrast and comparison to Christian Pulisic and in that fight for attention, if, attention, if you will, really give people an alternate type of hero to, uh, to play up. I don't know who, who that is, a Tyler Adams, those types of people. Do you see that happening? I, I thought it was so interesting you said that Pulisic might not become Landon Donovan. I would argue people are afraid that all Pulisic is going to be is Landon Ooh, Donovan. Ooh, interesting, Mossy. Yes. I mean, it, no disrespect to Landon, but— Well, I, it is disrespectful. <laughs> don't do that. I, I, that's like— that's like when my kids say, "Okay, disrespect uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to Landon, but no offense, but you're fat." You know, it doesn't. doesn't <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that. Yeah, okay, go ahead. So you're you're about to disrespect I, Landon Donovan. Yes, here, just so yes. you know. I don't think Landon ever transcended that great American player thing, and I think people thought something bigger was happening with Pulisic that he was going to be this transformative figure who was actually going to be one of the best players in the world, a star at one of these so-called super clubs, and we weren't going to think of him as a great American player. We're going to think of him as a great player that happened to be American. So if all he ends up being in terms of sort of his global standing at the end is where Landon Donovan was. I think people will actually look at that as a bit of a disappointment. And then look, I think that where Landon Donovan, you're absolutely right, still people the way that they looked at it, but I think where they were able to begrudgingly have the respect was when it came to the international game and what he proved at the international level and ultimately at World Cups. And Christian Pulisic has not had that yet. So I think that can change a lot of of, of views. And look, the jury is still out with Christian Pulisic. I think there's a lot of belief, and rightfully so. The, the, the kid isn't, he's a kid, he's 21, all right? I mean, he's, he's 21 years old. We're not talking about a 15-year-old anymore. He is incredibly talented. Yes, he is young, but it's, in, and in Frank Lampard's comments, it, he was kind of wishy-washy in the way, he knew he was going to have to answer it, and he didn't want to crush the player right there. But Frank Lampard's job is not to appease the American soccer culture out there. It's to try to figure out a way to win. Now, he's doing it with a very different type of Chelsea and our friend Alex over there who is looking at me right now. This is a very different type of Chelsea. And that's why it's, it's a little concerning. If this was a super club in terms of the 11 that was out there, and you could say, all right, look, he's, he's not starting behind blah, 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 blah. And then the list goes on and on and on. But not only is it that they don't have the big names, but by all accounts, they are, they are looking at a youth-driven type of foreseeable future here that they're going to build around. And that Christian Pulisic, at least so far, hasn't been able to establish himself. That's, that's what's concerning for me. I don't know, I don't know how this, this, this ends out. And it might be, look, it might be that this was, this turns out to be the wrong move. And it doesn't mean he's not a bad player. It doesn't mean he can't go on to great things. But it's a, it's, a, it's a precarious type of situation for him right now, I think. And it is looking 
likely, we've been talking about this since the start of the season, that we're going to have a shakeup in the top six this season in the Premier League. Either Chelsea or United, who lost again this weekend to West Ham, are going to drop out, and somebody like a West Ham or a Leicester are going to get in there. Frankly, if Arsenal don't get their act together, a club like Leicester is going to start to get ideas about the top four, but I'm not ready to go there yet. I still think top four will be Liverpool, City, Spurs, and Arsenal, but I could definitely see a Leicester or West Ham sliding in there into the top six and Chelsea and or United dropping out. Well, we continue to look at uh, Christian Pulisic, and it's it's understandable, and it and some of it stems from our from our insecurities, but a lot of it just stems with wanting to see, like you said, Mossy, that player that transcends the sport and does something that we haven't seen in the past, and stars with what on what everybody recognizes is one of these elite teams in the world, and we really haven't we really haven't had that yet, and that's why all this hope and you know, my comparison with, uh, with Luke Skywalker in that the undeniable talent and potential is readily apparent to, to everybody. But life works in strange and mysterious ways, as does a soccer career. And you can have the best laid plans, and sometimes they t- take twists and turns that you could not even conceive of. And I think Christian Pulisic, while he has been on a trajectory and a path that has been very fast and successful, that path and trajectory might might make some interesting uh, twists and turns. And this is already one of those interesting twists right now. We'll see if he can get back uh, back on course uh, and head onward and upward to a place that a lot of people, uh, including me, Want to uh, want to see him, which is playing consistently, starring consistently. In this case, uh, for a team like Chelsea, and who knows what happens in the future. Hello, people. It's Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from Major League Soccer, the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now back to the show. Mossy makes the case. All right, it's that time again. Mossy makes the case. Uh, that part of the pod when my good friend David Mossy makes a case about something out there in the world of soccer. Mossy, what are you casing for this week? My case is that this was the weekend when we found out that Barcelona's problems might be even bigger than Real Madrid's. Dun, dun, dun. Both teams had made sputtering starts to the campaign, but going into this weekend, Barcelona's issues were easier to explain away given the fact that Messi had yet to play a single minute in La Liga. And also, although their performance in the Champions League was disappointing, the result, a nil-nil draw away to Dortmund, was a lot more palatable. Real Madrid suffered a 3-0 defeat to a PSG side minus Neymar, Mbappe, and Cavani, and that, coupled with some bad La Liga results, had created a real sense of crisis. But who came to the rescue? Jose Mourinho. All it took was a couple of days of the press talking up the possibility of Mourinho coming back, and the players snapped back into shape. They played very well this weekend, beating a Sevilla side led by another of their former managers, Julian Lopetegui. Meanwhile, Barcelona had Suarez and Griezmann in the starting lineup and brought on Messi at the half, but put forth an awful performance in a 2-0 loss away to Granada. So now it is Ernesto Valverde in the eye of the storm. The vibe is not good around this man. The hashtag Valverde out was trending worldwide this weekend. There are lots of people clamoring for him to be out. Is Zidane out of the woods yet? No, because at Real Madrid, you're always one bad result away from being on the hot seat. But for one day, at least, Zidane and Real Madrid get to look over at Barcelona and say, well, at least we don't have their problems. So are you saying, okay, wow, okay. So are you saying that the dynasty is over when it comes to these teams? Are we at that point now where 
can you can you conceive of either of these teams reaching the lofty heights that they have over the past decade in terms of would you say is it is it even a possibility either one could win Champions League? Yeah, I, I think Barcelona definitely still have, have the, the talent to do so. Win. Yeah, okay, so it's you know not... it's funny. I, I say Real Madrid have a day to look over at Barcelona because there is a midweek La Liga round in which this could all change depending on the results of those teams. Now, keep in mind Barcelona are home to Villarreal, and their home form has not been the issue. It's been away, so it won't be till subcoming weekend against Getafe when we'll get to see if they've straightened anything out in terms of their away form. But I think there there are a couple things happening here. Uh, we've talked about this plenty on the podcast uh, in terms of Ernesto Valverde. We're finding out that winning league titles does not buy you as much currency as it used to. Those epic Champions League collapses against Roma and Liverpool, in a lot of people's eyes, were fireball offenses, and they were surprised that they kept him. And so a lot of people went into the season already unhappy with this guy. And so this bad start has just been sort of a continuation of, of, of kind of that bad feeling that was already in the air. And so, I mean, that's sort of interesting that a manager that's won back-to-back La Liga titles and a few games into this season is already on the hot seat. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say nobody cares about winning the league, but in this day and age of the Super Club and of what Champions League has become and and the incredible disparity that exists in, in many leagues, including including La Liga. And it's not to say that it's not entertaining and that there's not other teams that can, that can win. It should be no surprise that the value given to winning the league in Spain for those types of teams is, is much less. And that a coach, a coach goes in there under, uh, understanding that, right? I mean... They do, yeah. The other thing you have to understand if you're the Barcelona coaches is while we poo-poo the whole concept of style of play, and we tend to think if a team's winning, the fans will talk themselves into any style of play. Barcelona might be the one exception to that. They do have these romantic ideals of how Barcelona are supposed to play. And so even in the best of times under Valverde in terms of results, the fans weren't completely happy with how the team was playing. There's a sense that he just relies on Messi's brilliance, that he hasn't built anything collectively really good there. And so that's an element of this whole discussion, too. Coach has not relied on Messi's brilliance. <laughs> I mean, if you're coaching Messi, you're going to rely on the brilliance. You're going to say, I would like to do this, okay? And the fact is that 0.000001% of the players out there can actually do it. Oh, and I just happen to have the player that can do that. So when I want to go from point A to point B, where 99.9999% of the players can't do that, I have the one person, of course I'm going to rely on. Of course I'm going to rely on him. But as you, as you mentioned, the the reliance on him at some point, either it takes a toll or just it just peters out. You're not putting this all on Messi, are you? You're not you're not saying that we are seeing a Messi right now that that is unmessy like and therefore it's the start of the end. No, I mean he hasn't even started a game yet this season, so you can't put it on him. Frankly, it's exposed their over-reliance on him still. And so then when he comes back to everything, he's going to be fine then. Yeah, I, I think they'll be okay. They're, you know, all their problems, a couple of messy hat tricks will we'll, we'll solve they, it. They, uh, they, but but, they but by the way, if they don't get it straightened out and they actually get to the point where they make a change, this would be pretty uncharted waters for them to make a change uh, in season. They, they haven't sacked the manager during the season since Louis Van Hall in January of 2003. Uh, Rijkaard came in soon after that, stayed for five seasons, then Pep for four seasons, who left under his own volition. Then you had, unfortunately, the tragedy with Tito Villanova they brought in and contracted cancer. Uh, the one real whiff they had, ironically, was Tata Martino, who everybody in U.S. soccer circles loves now. Uh, he lasted only one season, but still lasted a full season. 
And then it was Luis Enrique, three seasons again, left kind of under his own volition. And Valverde, who's now in his third season, by super club standards, that is remarkably stable. And they take pride in that, that they're not as panicky, not as impulsive, not as chaotic as Real Madrid, who are always changing managers in season. So for Barcelona to get to a point where they would even entertain the possibility of sacking a manager mid-season, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he'll weather the storm. Uh, and I definitely could see if they don't win the Champions League again, him being out at the end of the season. That I could see. But uh, but to, to even be talking about this early in the season, they're making a change is pretty remarkable. Well, let's end on this. And to your point about winning Champions League and what it means to some of these teams, I don't think, and disagree with me if you, if you, if you don't agree with me here, um, I don't think that there is another league other than England. And even within England, it's really down to Liverpool right now where the priority is... And the value is higher in winning the league as opposed to Champions League right now. I don't think there's can you can you think of another team or another league where it's where, funny, ironically, a club that has a li- not to the same degree as Liverpool, but a little bit of that right now is Real Madrid. There's a sense that, listen, we, we've won all these Champions League titles recently. The La Liga thing is what we have to get right. We, we've sort of conceded really? okay. that turf to Barcelona. And so you've heard Zidane talk in press conferences about, no, the priority is La Liga. we got to figure that out. And so uh, <laughs> Real Madrid might be. But l- l- just to end on a Real Madrid note, the Mourinho thing was so funny uh, the last few days. He's saying all the right things publicly about how, oh, the, he, wouldn't, he doesn't want want to talk about a club that has a manager right now in place and that's inappropriate but from what you hear his people behind the scenes are definitely poking around any situation where the manager feels wobbly and kind of hey remember our guy he's he's ready if you need him and Mourinho is trying to sell himself as this like softer gentler Jose Mourinho who's learned from his mistakes but ironically his name only comes up in situations where people feel like a, a, a team needs like a strong hand a disciplinarian to come in there and whip the players into shape so there is sort of a disconnect in how he's selling himself and how people still view him so who the hell wants a kinder, softer, gentler Mourinho. That's not what you're paying for. That's not what you buy for. I don't want him holding hands, kumbaya with his team. No, that's not what he's about. Yeah, you, you are right, though. He, he, from a coaching perspective, he is being this kinder, gentler thing and saying all the right things. But from a punditry perspective, thank God at least he's saying some things that are interesting because I, I hate it and I see it constantly where once again, coaches, a lot of people sometimes are using what we do as a, as a way station and just waiting for something better to come along and they come in and you're, you're sitting there watching saying, well, you were bought in for your expertise and your experience and your history and all that kind of stuff. Give us, give us something interesting. And they are pulling so many punches. And he's been, he's been pretty good the way he's talked about Manchester United uh, this week uh, and, and what's going on on the field. I think he's been entertaining. So I think he has a future if he wants to continue to do, uh, to do TV. Pains me to say this, but you know who's also very good at TV? Who's that? Urban Meyer. And and your your boy Rob Stone is smitten, I could tell. Boy, really? he loves working with Urban Meyer. It is it's frankly a little bit pathetic. But, who's who's that? Who's uh, Urban Meyer? Uh former head coach of Ohio State, who's now part of the uh Fox Sports. Uh, he's now your Fox Sports colleague, yeah, part I of our college football. I know who coverage. Urban Meyer is. I know who yes. Urban Meyer is. Okay, so so you're a big Urban Meyer fan when it comes to his punditry. Man knows his football. In football. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, anything else, Mossy? No. Nope. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on the uh, social media platforms. You send us a comment or a question or concern, and then we pick three and we'll read them off on air as we are about to do right now. Mossy, what do the people want to know this week? First up, Diploticus 5. Is it time <laughs> Diploticus? for... Diploticus? Diploticus. <laughs> uh, uh, is it time for Jordan Morris to make a move away from the MLS? If so, what country and club would you see as ideal for him? Okay, so Jordan Morris, for people that don't know, a 
youngish, mid 20 ish type of player for Seattle. Had opportunities to move at a younger age. He was brought into the national team, uh, just a, a, a raw type of talent under Jurgen Klinsmann, and turned a lot of heads and, and, uh, and raised some, uh, some eyebrows. He's gone on to very good things with uh, Seattle, but there was always that question as to whether he was going to go or he had opportunities over in Germany. And he said, no, I want to stay. I want to go to MLS. And uh, that's what he has done. And we talked earlier in the pod about how people can look at players that decide not to go and look at them askew and, and somehow attach their their own insecurities and, and say that they're not doing everything they can to live up to their potential, which is a crock, but uh, I digress. So when it comes to uh, Jordan Morris, I think that he is enjoying his life. I think he is enjoying his career at Seattle. I think there would be interest, but if interest is only one-sided, then that's not, not going to happen. And I don't think that his outlook on his life and career has changed that much. Now, a good World Cup can change a lot of people's perspectives on life. And you get a lot of people knocking at your door when you play uh, well in a World Cup. And he was uh, one of the bright spots, to be quite honest, in these last couple of games with the national team. And he's, he has yet to reach the heights that I think some people projected but he is a solid player. If he were to go overseas, I still think that a place like Germany uh, would be good for him. I think that he has a discipline. I think he has a physical characteristic that lends itself to the Bundesliga. So if, if he were to decide to do something like that, I think that that would be uh, you know, something because I think he could, he could work a, a, a wing and beat people. He's always going to track back. He's always going to give you. And one of the things when you talk about, because we do so much Bundesliga, and when, when you talk to technical directors and owners and coaches over in the Bundesliga, inevitably when it comes to the American player, the work ethic, and not just you run fast and you run through walls and stuff like that, but the discipline, the ability to take in information and to implement it, that's something that they're constantly going back to. They never have to worry about American players when they bring them in of, how you know are they going to be are they going to be disciplined on and off the field are they going to work hard all of those different things and i think jordan is a a shining example of a player that has a certain amount of ability and just through sheer will and discipline he has been able to make himself that much better uh, i would love to see it i would love to see what he looks like in a different type of environment and i think you change as a person but you also change as a player when you get those types of experiences and those adventures if you will and for, it's not for everybody though so it obviously hasn't been for him for a, a number of years and he'll probably get to the point at some point in the next few years where that window will close and will close rapidly for him all right what else next up at Ryan Kurutz, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. <laughs> Thoughts on this year's U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame class? Hall of Fame class. Okay, so this past weekend, the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame inducted their latest class in. Uh, only three people went in. One of them, Tony Quinn, a legendary photographer and just a, a gentleman that has been on every sideline for decades and decades and decades. And as a as a player and 
And then after my playing career, I'm constantly just seeing him. He's ubiquitous when you go onto a sideline of a game. And he's captured some of the greatest moments in American soccer history. A gentleman, as I said, and a wonderful artist. And he is an artist in the pictures that he gets. And so congratulations to him. From a player perspective, Abby Wambach, legend, American soccer legend. Uh, a no-brainer when it comes to something like the Soccer Hall of Fame. And then the third inductee was Sunil Gulati. And when you say Sunil Gulati in a 2019 context, immediately people are going to come at you from all different sides, good, bad, and everywhere in between. And there, there is a little bit of revisionist type of history when it comes to Sunil Gulati and you know, that he was at the helm of the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation when we had that epic failure of not qualifying for uh, the 2018 Men's World Cup. Uh, there's also a lot of recency bias when it comes to how Sunil Gulati has been portrayed, especially over the last couple of weeks when more attention has been put onto the Soccer Hall of Fame. Look, uh, unless you are purposely being just completely disingenuous and ultimately delusional in terms of your assessment of people in American soccer, Sunil Gulati, uh, and, and probably you're just trying to, you have an agenda, Sunil Gulati has done more than the majority of players that have kicked a soccer ball. The amount of time and effort uh, that he has given to the game, he has progressed the game in so many different ways. And you know whether it's you know, starting the the uh, the process to get 2026. Uh, the, the Men's World Cup, the Joint World Cup uh, coming, whether it's his involvement with NWSL, whether it's an, his initial involvement with, uh, with Major League Soccer, uh, whether it's the establishment of the developmental academies. And while he was president of the U.S. Soccer Federation for 12 years, he worked with the Soccer Federation in other capacities for much longer than that. And he has been at the forefront of driving the game forward. He has been a leader. And when you are a leader, you are going to come in for criticism, fairly. And at times, he has been uh, called names and critiqued over the years, as, as he should be. He's had a huge involvement, sits on the FIFA uh, executive committee for a number of years. So his association with FIFA, all of those different things come into play when you're assessing who Sunil Gulati is. But for anybody to suggest that Sunil Gulati is not worthy of entering the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, which, by the way, is not just for people who kick the ball. U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame is for people who have done things to impact and positively impact and, and move the game forward. Sunil Gulati, more than a lot of people, to be quite honest, deserves to be in the Soccer Hall of Fame. And I know people out there will say, oh, you're being a, a shill and you're being a, <laughs> you're, uh, you know, you're, uh, um, you're just a mouthpiece for the Federation or a mouthpiece for MLS and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. I I, I get it. You know, I have worked with Sunil Gulati. Truth be told, everybody, everybody knows this. I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him as a colleague at times uh, when I've worked in the past, as a friend always. And to hear some of the way people out there are portraying him, I think it's misguided. I think it's uneducated. I think it's ill-informed. And ultimately, I think it's wrong because uh, of what this uh, this man has done for the game. And this isn't a podcast about talking about Sunil Gulati or anything like, uh, like that. But I will say this about the Soccer Hall of Fame. Like every Hall of Fame out there, it is a popularity contest. And who you are, and it's about timing and what you did. And look, 
the, with the career that I had, because uh, for those that don't know, I'm also in the soccer hall of fame. For the career that I had, if I had just done the soccer part, right, and not had that the whole the way that I looked and all the uh, other things that accompanied it, would I be in the soccer hall of fame? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, so I get it. It is it, it, the fact that I am in the soccer hall of fame proves to you that it is a pop, it is a popularity contest. If I were to be voted on now after all my work in television, it might be a very different vote <laughs> because once you once you are critical and once you are out there in the public talking about things that people disagree with, they're because these are humans. These are humans that ultimately are uh, are voting, uh, unless you want some sort of formula that you put it in and it comes out. And I know there are certain minimum standards and levels that you have to have, but unless you want some sort of formula, eh, it's not going to happen. Robots aren't going to uh, vote that. Uh, Mossy, did I answer that question at all? You did. Yeah. Very nice. Did you have any comments on that? One of my favorite moments ever at Fox was when we were sitting in a production meeting once and Eric Winaldo went off on this thing about how when he got in the Hall of Fame, only like two people voted against him. And he's always wondered who those people were. And you, matter of factly, said like, "Yeah, I think I was one of them." <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it's it's a great honor, and and I love it. But it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're any better or more important. And and to be quite honest with you, while it is an indication that you have done something, it's an indication that to a select group of human beings, you have done something. Doesn't doesn't once again doesn't make you it doesn't make you any better. Now it's easy being in there to say that, and the, the, the soccer hall of fame is going to evolve just like everything evolves. And could the the nomination process be better? Could the election process uh, process be better? Yeah, and it will. But you know the soccer hall of fame. All right, at one point it was in mothballs. Nobody wanted to do it. Nobody wanted to have the soccer hall of fame after Oneonta closed years and years ago. It was on hiatus, if you will, for years and years. We didn't even have a standalone place. And the Hunts, to their credit down there in Dallas, decided to make it part of the stadium down there and to resurrect and in doing so, save a part of American soccer history. And if you get a chance to go to the actual Hall of Fame down there in Dallas, it's really fun. It's, it's easy to go to. It's uh, interactive. It doesn't take a long time to check it out. But the stuff that you see, because... You know, the, the, the people, well, that's, that's all fine and well, and that's, that's great. But for me, to see the history on display and, and to see the videos and the pictures of all of this soccer that we have been part of, the good, bad, and everything in between, because in no way am I saying that, that anybody that's in there or that soccer in general is, uh, is perfect. I must say anything else? Well, just to our producers, let me know when you post the video of the Sunil Galati bit. I'm going to smoke a cigar and read the comments <laughs> on Twitter. Next up, uh, at Philip Ryan Jr. I just rewatched Liverpool versus Barcelona at halftime for the twelfth time. I can mm. lip sync all the commentary. What is your favorite call you have either spoken or heard? Me personally, so I don't know. I mean, I've had probably some moments out there um, when I have. You know, let's see, uh, set piece orgy. That was one of my uh, big hits uh, <laughs> back in the day when there was a game that was just set piece after set piece. Uh, somebody even made t-shirts and sent it to me after that. So uh, I, I like um, when Rooney scored, or, or didn't score the goal, when Rooney tackled back and then hit that long launched ball to Luciano Costa and scored the goal for DC United, I was on that call. And if you listen to the, when the ball goes into the back of the net, you can just hear me giggling in the background. So I don't know if that counts as an actual call. Rooney, putting one up, Costa. 
But, but me giggling, I really enjoyed that. As far as, as other people, I love when I get to live turn and see someone like John Strong go, 45 down, 45 to go. Now, now that, that to me is wonderful. Even, you know, the Jack Edwards of the world, that's why he's here type of calls. Look, some of them, some of them are, are rehearsed. Not Actually, a lot of them are rehearsed. One thing you find out when you go to television and broadcasting is that preparation is huge. And some of these that look like they are just authentic, off-the-cuff types of things that are just capturing the moment, the person or persons will have planned for the potential of that moment happening and therefore rehearsed it. And that's okay. That's, that's okay because they are planning for something that they don't know is going to happen, but preparation is planning for as many different scenarios as possible. So, you know, those, those are very cool things. As far as, you know, the uh, do you believe in miracles, these types, these types of iconic uh, moments that, where the audio is associated with the actual events that are happening on field. And from a soccer perspective, who is it? Uh, what's, the, what's the scream? Speaking of screams and not actual words, uh, Gary. Gary Neville yes. orgasm when Fernando Torres <laughs> scored at Camp Nou. That's always that's always Greatest wonderful. moment in Alex Dowd's life. All oh, right, that's back when Chelsea was a super club, no, right? No. <laughs> no disrespect to Alex Dowd. <laughs> what are you, you got any uh, big calls out there? Anything that floats your boat? I mean, I can't think of anything specifically. Martin Tyler's voice does it for me. It really connotes like, I don't does know. Does it really? Yeah. When he, when I love, look, I, I, I've worked with Martin Tyler in the past. I think sometimes Martin does this thing where it's the ultimate form of less is more in that you expect something to be at a, a much higher level of, of pitch and volume and he comes in under and it, and it, at times it can be jarring. It doesn't always work. I'll be, I'll be quite honest. Sometimes it doesn't always work, but when it does work, there's a reverence to it because we know in soccer, goal calls for the most part are big and boisterous and loud and, and, and all that. And so when, when you do the opposite, sometimes it has a, a dramatic effect and he's, he's good at times at doing that. But like I said, it doesn't always work. For the me. Uh, New York Yankees have this uh, radio announcer, John Sterling, who comes up with these like very elaborate pre-planned home run calls. He likes to scream, it is high, it is far, it is gone. The problem is he also has bad eyesight. So oftentimes he goes into it when it's, and it ends up not even being a home run. He goes into this like long elaborate home run call and then has to kind of sheepishly be like, oh, I'm sorry, a ball was caught at the warning track. It, it's hilarious. I'm sorry, you go on YouTube, you say John Sterling, there's like five minute long really? like I've blooper videos heard. of him That's screwing awesome. up calls. It's, it's great. <laughs> Um, it's a great call. It, 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 it does not apply to reality, but it's a great call. All right, what else? What else? Uh, that is it for the Ask that Alexi segment. That is it segment. for our Ask Alexi segment. Listen, if you do have questions, uh, do use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, out there at any time and send it on through Twitter, Instagram, all, all the different places uh, that you have out there. I'm sure there's a million other ones that the, uh, the kiddos are using right now. They probably moved on from the uh, traditional ones. Okay, moving on. The Back Three. All right, it's time for our back three, where we look at three different big stories or games or moments out there from the, the world of soccer. What's in our back three this week, Mossy? We are going to start by looking back at match day one of the Champions League group stage. Christian Pulisic did not get on the field for Chelsea, but there was a great American success story. Uh, Jesse Marsh, wow, huh? who orchestrated Salzburg's 6-2 win over Genk. How uh, exciting was that for you to see an American coach winning a game in the Champions League? It's great. I mean, it, it actually, in a parallel way, it's what we've been talking about a lot on this pod, where we see an American doing well. 
we have hopes and dreams that American will do well because of what it rep of, of how it makes us feel and the pride and the to be quite honest the worth that it that it gives us as American soccer fans because for a people that for so long have been undervalued I think and certainly at times unappreciated to have players doing well but also to have coaches doing well and you talk about a unicorn. I mean, American coaches doing well. There's has not been a lot of amount out there in uh, over the, over the years that have uh, that that have done it. And American cultures that have started off in the United States and then gone. Jesse Marsh, I got a lot of respect uh, and time for him for what he is doing. He's also very very smart in that he recognized a pathway with that Red Bull system to get what he wanted, and this is certainly what uh, what he wanted. Out of the shoot, wonderful. Awesome result for him and his team. Should it be a surprise? Not necessarily, because they're doing great domestically off to a historic start. Not in, not just in terms of the wins, but the amount of goals that they are scoring. And they just parlayed it right into a great first game. It's going to get harder. It's going to get harder for him. But this is this is what you want. This is the type of thing that you want from Christian Pulisic, but it's being done from a coach, uh, coaching perspective. And he has a real star in his hands in this striker, Holland, who uh, scored a hat-trick in that uh, game against Genk. He has four hat-tricks already this season, 17 goals in 10 games. And remember, he's the kid, he's 19 years old, who this past summer in the Under-20 World Cup had nine goals in a game for Norway against uh, Honduras in a 12-0 win, shades of U.S. women against Thailand. And I'll tell you, Norway have a little something going on right now because they have this kid who's 19, and then Odegaard, that kid that Real Madrid signed years ago, who everybody had left for dead, has now had this rejuvenation playing great with Real Sociedad. So they have two fantastic talents there. But it'd be interesting to see where uh, Holland ends up because he rose to prominence with Molda playing under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and could have gone to bigger clubs and chose Salzburg because he thought that was the better place for him to continue developing and he's doing so under Jesse Marsh uh, but he's certainly going to have offers now to go to like super clubs and it'll be interesting to see where Jesse Marsh goes from here because that Salzburg job is a real springboard his predecessor Marco Rose is in the Bundesliga right now at Gladbach um, you know, who knows how long Nagelsmann's going to stay at Leipzig, but that might be a possibility there or somewhere else. I think if Jesse Marsh does well at Salzburg, we will definitely see him in one of the quote-unquote top and European just so, leagues. And just so people have some perspective and understanding of the, the skepticism and the scrutiny and the criticism that American players slash coaches go on. We talked about it from a player's perspective where there is incredible skepticism when it comes to who you are and you have to prove yourself, and that's that's all fine, and players do that. But... When Jesse Marsh first got there in this new gig, there was signs in the stands. We don't want Marsh. We don't want him. Well, they, they want him now. And this is nothing new. Jesse Marsh has had to win over people. And it's, it's great because what does it do? It at least pushes it along further for an American soccer coach in the future to get a second look. Or wait, to get a first look. Let's be honest, to get a first look. Uh, because if, and if Jesse can do that, he is that pioneer that we talked about when we talked about the John Harkses of the world that went over and opened doors. And, and that's, that's, that's important, from a, not just from a soccer player perspective, but a soccer coaching perspective. So I can't say enough about how, and I'm, I'm going to speak for everybody here, I think everybody is proud of what he is doing and excited about what potentially, like you said, could happen going forward.
One more note about match they won in the Champions League. We talk a lot about the Premier League insularity, and if something isn't happening right in front of them, they don't notice it. Right. Well, I've, Germans are guilty of that too, and I found that out with this uh, Mark Andre Ter Stegen Manuel Neuer situation. Ter Stegen had an absolute blinder for Barcelona against Dortmund, made a bunch of incredible saves, denied Marco Royce from the penalty spot, and it finally took this for people in Germany to realize, oh my God, we have this other incredible goalkeeper and maybe we should be talking about this Ter Stegen versus Neuer situation and yet to, to see the indignant reaction from the Bayern Munich camp I'm sorry I have a lot of respect for Manuel Neuer I think he, he might be the best goalkeeper of all time frankly uh, and, and he's back to playing very well uh, this season and obviously he has this great track record with Germany he's got a lot of currency there having won a World Cup but Ter Stegen if you're ranking goalkeepers right now in the world Ter Stegen is above Neuer to me him and Alisson are, are one and two and so it's at least a conversation. And I, I thought the reaction from the, the Neuer camp was, was kind of interesting. But I'm glad that it, it, I mean, it shouldn't have taken this performance against Dortmund. But I'm glad people in Germany in general seem to be coming around and realizing, oh, my God, we need to be really looking at this. I mean, Ter Stegen is incredible. Isn't it interesting that this provincial and nationalistic type of shades and uh, perception or lack of perception around the world that you're talking about when it comes to some of these countries is what the United States as a country is often accused of, of having blinders on and not seeing everybody else and not recognizing that we're citizens of the world. And yet, when it comes to the soccer part of it, that's what a lot of the countries in Europe are. And yet the United States, from a soccer perspective, recognizes that there is a whole other world out there that we are part of from a soccer perspective out there. And we want to be part of it. And we are much more... That's why I say that the American soccer fan is the most educated soccer fan out there. Out of necessity... We've had to be. This is this is who we are. And so when I when I talk about being proud of somebody, it's being proud of somebody that they were able to do it in a competitive field that includes the world, not just, not just the United States. So exactly what, what ultimately it comes once again back down to uh, kudos to uh, to Jesse Mars. This is more about <laughs> Jesse Mars. <laughs> yeah, um, on the coaching front, I'll bring it back to uh, Ter Stegen this way. I think it's linked to the coaching situation. We, you know, you've talked about this that Yogi Love has got to go. It's grown stale there. But you know, as long as he's there, he's going to be more loyal to Neuer, who won him a World Cup. Sure. Had they brought in a new manager, I think that new manager might have had more of an open mind to having Ter Stegen start, especially with Germany in the state of transition, where they are sort of casting aside guys like Muller and Hummels and saying, "Well, we're moving on from you." It's weird that Neuer hasn't sort of fit into that when you have this other option, a guy who's younger and is arguably the best goalkeeper in the world. So, so just say it, Mossy. If you're gonna, I mean, I hate when you beat around the bush like this. Jesse Marsh for Demineshaft. Okay, so that's what it is. Okay, <laughs> he is a citizen of the world, and he would not have the blinders on just to go with someone like Manuel Neuer. He would recognize first and foremost that Ter Stegen is actually playing soccer right now. Okay, <laughs> and that the world exists outside of the Bundesliga. Yeah. All right, Mossy. What else? Next up is Neymar, who we didn't get a chance I've to talk about him? this. Yes. Yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, but in his first game back for PSG after that whole transfer Misha guys, um, he got booed at home by the fans mercilessly for 90 minutes, and then lo and behold, scored this incredible bicycle kick to win the game. By the way, scored another goal minutes later that was wiped out by VR because of one of those millimetric offsides calls that are so near and dear to your heart. <laughs> um, but so then he comes back this weekend, gets away to Lyon, gets booed the whole 
whole game. Okay, that's nothing new away from home. And then scores another incredible late winner. We'll start with sort of a larger question about Neymar. I find that people have a, a difficult time separating the player from the person. I've never denied the fact that he's unlikable, he's obnoxious, he's insufferable, the way he carries himself, lots of issues there. But I can still appreciate him as a player. I enjoy watching him when he does amazing things. The soccer fan in me is excited by that. My sense in reading Twitter this weekend is that, is that a lot of people aren't. They, they're just The bad has outweighed the good with that guy. They can't have any appreciation for him as a player. Where are you on that? Well, ultimately, when you pay money for sports, right, what are you paying for? You're paying for it in a soccer situation for the 90 minutes that you're watching, right? I'm not paying money, and so therefore I don't feel aggrieved for bad behavior off the field, okay? So, and I've told you before that it's amazing how forgiving players and coaches can be, especially at the higher levels where you're, I'll be honest with you, you're not friends with everybody. You, you hope to have a relationship and a good positive relationship. You hope that ultimately you have a respect, but that respect is rooted in your belief that that person is going to help me win. And so when Neymar steps on the field, I think it's still undeniable <laughs> that, that he is one of the best players in the world and that he can help that team win by doing those, those magical things. I love that these guys, because I, I look at players, yes, they are humans, but it's still just soccer, okay? And so I look at their personalities and the things that they do off the field as part of the, the pageantry, as part of the play, as part of the character, as part of the personality, as part of the storyline that's, that's going on. And it doesn't mean that if I look at a player and just am shaking my head and this guy's a moron and I don't, you know, that, that it doesn't mean that I can't go watch them for 90 minutes and be excited about the things that they do on the field. And when it comes to Neymar, I think how much of the, because I, I, how much of the diving has hurt his brand? Was really what we're calling about is the erosion of a brand. Okay, because the actual player and the abilities that he has on this field are, un, are unquestioned. And once again, he is proving it. But the, how much of, of the erosion of the Neymar brand is relative to the diving as opposed to his trying to orchestrate a move, which many players have done? Maybe he did it much more overtly than others. You know, I actually think it's less about the diving. Uh, there are pockets of the world where they're really hung up on the diving issue, England, United States. But a lot of other cultures, they, they're not as bothered by that. But I think that move to PSG is what rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And just he gives off a vibe now of, of, of caring more about money and, and about being this flashy social media star and worrying too much about his brand and not just for sort of focusing on his career and the game. So I, I think I think it's all of that. There's a real kind of like mid-2000s Kobe vibe about uh, <laughs> Neymar right now. And, 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 they, and Kobe was able to sort of turn that around and his image has had an incredible rehabilitation since then. Uh, so we'll see. I mean... Well, so where, if you were to picture out Neymar after soccer, because you talk about his brand, what is a Neymar doing 20 years from now? What, what, do, we, what do we think about when we think about Neymar 20 years from now? Jesus. Uh, is it clothing? Is it is yeah. that type of thing? It's just a lifestyle type of choice? Yeah, I, mean, is, I, think, I think something along those lines, yeah. Successful or just successful in the Jordan-esque type of success? post-career or or not 
Maybe. I mean, he, he does seem to take care of his money fairly well. So I think there are no issues there. Ronaldinho, not so much. He's having all sorts of financial problems right now. But you don't see him going into politics or anything like that. I, I like to I, yeah, I Romario, like you know, is now yeah, a politician. Some, some of them do. and I yeah. don't know. I, I, I can't even look that far ahead. Okay. Let, let me just say a couple, couple more things on this. All right, go. Thing. You know, there's been so much discussion about Neymar's decision to go to PSG and what the motivations were behind it. There's always been a reason that people overlook. Believe it or not, there actually was sort of a tactical footballing kind of thing there and that Neymar's game is evolving in such a way where he likes to play in the middle of the field now, function as the playmaker of his team, have everything run through him. And if you watch these PSG games now, I mean, he's nominally a left winger, but he spends the whole game in the middle of the field and Tuchel realized that, which is why he's actually starting him a lot of times as a number 10. And Chichi has even mused about doing that with the national team too. So his game is evolving in this direction, which was going to make it harder for him to coexist with Messi. So I think people, when they when they analyze that whole decision to go to PSG, you have to throw that in the mix too. That you know there, there are some tactical well, why considerations. Why are people about him going to PSG? I mean, why can he go to? Why can't he go to PSG? But Ronaldo can go to Juventus. Yeah, I mean, there's something so off-putting about this whole PSG nouveau riche kind of thing, and then Qatari-backed money, and and. Oh, you know. so it's not that he went; it's where he went. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I, I think you know the, the premise that look, I've won everything with playing alongside Messi in the Champions League and treble and all that, and you know I'm I'm a top three player in the world in my prime. I should want to go somewhere else and see if I can lead the team to a Champions League title. That makes sense. I think it does. you know it, yeah. it makes sense in life. I yes, mean, you, you might be a second or third at, at a big company and making lots of money and doing well, but you you. you you know, you go out on your own. You want to say, you know, I want something my own. I want to start right. from something from scratch. I want to, you know, live, live, uh, you know, stand on my own two feet and all that kind of stuff. We we applaud that. We praise that. Yeah, I think it was a PSG thing. I think I think if you had gone to a, a you know one of the blue bloods, if you will, the traditional super club somewhere in England, perhaps, uh, I think it would have been viewed differently. But you know, I keep going back to this. Uh, I think what ha- the way the summer played out was a blessing in disguise. I really, really like this PSG team. Listen, whether they're going to win the Champions League or not, I don't know. Who knows? But while the whole Neymar mess was playing out, they were quietly having a very good summer, making uncharacteristically savvy moves for them, getting guys for, for bargains and guys like Kaylor Navas and and uh, Ander Herrera on a free transfer and even guys like Idrissa Gay and Abdul Diallo for not bad transfer fees. Their net spend this summer was like 20 million euros, and they really upgraded that squad. Tuchel's got a lot of options, a lot of different ways he can go Tactically, so uh, PSG is a team I'm, I'm actually quite high on this season. I'm curious to see how it's all going to play out. Wouldn't that be an amazing turn of events if he's dying to leave and he ends up forced to stay and somehow they win the Champions League this season? <laughs> I've never seen you so bullish on a PSG side. No, this no. Is, uh, so this is it. This is the year. You know, the, the, the flip side this weekend, they played Lyon. This is actually a rare thing where uh, Brazilians and Americans can unite when it comes to soccer. There's always been this discussion in Brazil about there's so many Brazilian players in Europe, but not a lot of managers. And Brazilian managers don't seem to have any sort of global prestige. The couple that have gotten at bats at big clubs failed miserably, like Lucien Borgo at Real Madrid, Scolari at Chelsea. Uh, they have, Lyon have a Brazilian manager in Silvino. And so a lot of people in Brazil are paying attention to that. He's off to a terrible start. They were dreadful this weekend. This is going to, I think, headed for another miserable Brazilian coaching failure in Europe. So both Brazil and the U.S. still trying to crack that glass ceiling as far as like coaching in Europe and it's acceptance. It's one of us <laughs> until, you, until you fail. <laughs> <laughs> then moving on, moving on. Uh, Mossy, anything else? What do you got? And we will end on Major League Soccer, the regular season winding down, the playoffs just around the corner next yes. month. It's coming down to it. Uh, we'll start with LAFC, who are winless in five. Uh, our colleague, Ian Joy, who's an NYCFC guy, getting ideas about the Supporters' Shield all of a sudden. Although it's uh, not going to happen. He, he was counting on them winning this yeah. weekend. They were, Yeah, they, they had it too, and they let it slip away, but... So it's still going to be LAFC. Are you worried at all about LAFC? Have they sprung a leak here at the wrong time? 
I'm, I'm not worried about anybody. <laughs> I'm not worried about any team, not least of which is uh, LAFC. I think that they are they are well coached. They have been good throughout the year, which means they're definitely going out in the playoffs and not winning MLS Cup because that's <laughs> that's what happens. I think everybody is. I mean, MLS is so unpredictable that. Everybody is talking about LAFC going out. It's almost a good thing because it's it's a reminder to Bob Bradley and co. that this is what happens. And if and when that happens, that first press conference, you're going to see Bob talk about, yes, but we were the best team throughout and it's a crapshoot and blah, 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 blah. But no, that's not the case. Everybody knew from the start that this was the situation. And if you want to just tread water until the playoffs, you can do that. You want to go and shoot ahead and uh, and burn out early, you can uh, you can do that. Ultimately, it is about who wins MLS Cup. It's about who is standing there when the trophy is handed to you and the confetti comes down and it's MLS Cup. Nobody remembers who wins Supporters Shield. Okay, and I'm not saying it's not important. It's not. I'm not saying it's not an accomplishment. But this is the reality of the league that you play in. You want to play in a different reality? Then go to another league. We're going to celebrate who wins uh, MLS Cup. Uh, right now, when I look at it. If I had to take my money and put it all on one team to win, I think, and, and this is hard because Joseph Martinez went down this weekend uh, in Atlanta. I still think that I would put it on Atlanta, but NYSCFC, uh, to, to Ian Joy's point, is they are sneaky good, and they have been quiet all year. And that they were even in the running to, to possibly catch LAFC for the Supporters' Shield is amazing. They've just they've crept up on, any, on everybody, which is, which is fine for them. I think they are the team. I, I still say Atlanta, but I, I think NYCFC is going to have a say here uh, when, it, when it comes right down to it. And then on the other side where it's all, it's all I mean, it's a log jam when it comes to who's going to be there. That musical chairs type of thing that's going on. Portland can't find a way to win up there uh, despite all of those uh, those home games. Real crisis up there for Giovanni Savarese, uh up in Portland right now. And if they're going to squeak in, they're going to have to get by San Jose and Dallas and Salt Lake. So every week, I'm going to be in... Uh, New York this weekend. Uh, we have a doubleheader this weekend uh, when it comes to Major League Soccer, so you can check that out. I will be in uh, New York. And when I say New York, I actually mean New Jersey for the Red Bulls versus D.C. And we have the Loons up there in uh, God's Country in Minnesota taking on LAFC. So uh, that's a that's a wonderful doubleheader on uh, Fox this weekend. So I'll be at Red Bull Arena for their game against D.C., a classic matchup when it comes to Major League Soccer, uh, uh, Mossy, right now. Uh, this Joseph Martina in, uh, Martinez injury is, is a big potential big blow uh, for them from a playoff perspective, but also from the, the leading uh, golden boot, whatever we're talking about here in terms of the uh, goal-scoring chase here that has Vela, Zlatan, and Joseph Martinez all vying for that. Vela right now uh, leading with 29 uh, goals. So if Joseph Martinez is shut down for the rest of the regular season, they have these next two games, and it's up to Zlatan to find a way to catch Vela. And you know Zlatan wants that because he's already in the head of Everybody over there at LAFC, and if you were to catch Vela, that would be that would be incredible. I think everybody is hoping for an LAFC LA Galaxy game in the playoffs, and what that would ultimately be, given the fact that Zlatan and the Galaxy have dominated. While they may not have dominated the league, they've dominated LAFC each and every time that they uh, they seem to face them. So, what else, Mossy? Anything else? 
I think that whole MLS Cup versus supporters show, that might be my first ever MLS-centric Mossy Makes the Case, because I find that to be a really interesting subject. I have a lot of thoughts on it myself. So really? Look, look forward to that tease, my sometime in the next tease. couple of weeks. I can't yes. wait for that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What do you got this weekend? What are you doing this weekend? Well, exciting today. As soon as we're done here, uh, I think I'm going to go see the Diego Maradona documentary. I've uh, oh, located... Because it's in the theaters now, and then it comes theater. to HBO in a little bit, right? Yeah, it's going to come to HBO in a little bit, but they're putting out limited release, I think, so it's eligible for all the awards and I located a theater that's uh, not too far away that's showing it so I think I'm gonna go see that today there's uh, I'm, I'm sure there's this clip because I think it's highly concentrated and focused on the Napoli days uh, that he had and for those that don't know this is a bio of Diego Maradona that's that's coming out as you said it's a limited release in, in theaters and then the full release is on HBO starting in October do you know when I don't know early October also uh, Peaky Blinders drops on Netflix that same week <laughs> just want to get that plug in there so well, anyway, I think there's a lot of people that are excited, and the and the uh, preview of it is wonderful. the The moment that he walks out onto the stadium in Napoli, I remember seeing that clip way back in the '90s when I got to Italy. Italy was was so kind of proud, and there's still the mystique of him was still so prevalent all over Italy, not just the south, but all over the Italy, even where I was up in the north. I remember people showing it to me and saying, "You need to watch this. This will help you understand." the type of culture that you are coming into right now. And for those that don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Maradona came to Italy to play uh, in Napoli and led them on. He was such a beloved figure when it came to what he was doing that when Argentina, who he was playing with, was playing in the World Cup in Italy, the Italian fans actually cheered for Argentina. But there's this moment where he is being introduced to Napoli and he walks out onto the field in front of 80,000 feet, a sold-out stadium only for an introduction of a, of a player. And he walks out into the middle of the field and he just starts juggling the ball. And it's just rapture and, and the, the level of devotion and the iconic moment that it creates. But who Diego Maradona was in that moment and now who Diego Maradona has become, I just think it's going to be a fascinating uh, documentary. And there's a lot of people. I, I think it's going to be one of those documentaries where you might not know or care about anything when it comes to soccer and you will still enjoy it and it's uh, i believe from the same guy that did the senna documentary yes, that was very exactly. popular and that was so great a wonderful too. pedigree yeah it's funny when you when u.s beat argentina in the 95 Copa america i know maradona spoke to you guys mm -hmm. after the game i have heard like 20 different versions of the exact <laughs> circumstances of that uh so i don't know which one to go with but apparently there was some situation where diego maradona interacted with the u.s team after i've that. heard 20 versions too <laughs> all, I, all i can tell you is there, that there, I saw it with my own eyes. Okay, all I can tell you is that after that game, it was in a place called Paysandú, Uruguay, and after that game, we beat Argentina. Maradona was at the game, and I'll, I will never forget the moment that he came into the after party, if you will. There was a, a banquet room in the stadium that we were all hanging out with, celebrating, having drinks, and all I remember is the parting of the seas that happened because. For, for those that don't know or don't realize, he's a very diminutive type of figure, small guy, right? So he came into the room and the sea started parting as he as he came through the room, but you couldn't tell who it was because he was because he was so short. So there's other parts of that story that I will tell at a later date. But yes, he, he was there. Uh, and yes, we did uh, interact. I'll discuss the movie next week and you can get into Wonderful. more Maradona stories. Wonderful. Huh? I can't wait. Anything else, Mossy? Nope, that's it. All right. So we come to the end of yet another podcast. And at the end of each podcast, you know we do our one big thing. Uh, my one big thing from today's podcast as we look back on Christian Pulisic and, and maybe make it 
a little broader in terms of the way that we, and I say we as American soccer fans, think about ourselves, think about our game. Uh, you know, I mentioned the fact that the inferiority complex that we often have uh, and readily admit the insecurities that we have about how we are perceived internally, uh, domestically, but more importantly, externally, uh, we, we put them on the shoulders oftentimes of players and people out there that we want to help push us forward. And Christian Pulisic, for a number of years now, has been this new hope. Uh, for many, their, their last hope, if you will, given the, uh, the failure of not making the World Cup in 2018. It, and we are always, well, not always, but oftentimes we are wary about putting too much pressure on players because of past history with the likes of Freddie Adu and others. And nothing gets us more excited than potential and young talent that we see out there, especially young talent that can do the things that we imagine are going to make us whole, that are going to fulfill us as American soccer people, that are going to give us the type of uh, attention and respect that we crave so much. I'm here to tell you that no matter what, while it may push it forward, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to fully fill that hole and that void that we have. And that's okay. That's, that's part, it's part of this process. And it, has been going on before I was kicking a ball, and guess what? It's going to go on after I, I kick a ball. But it's going on, and it's heading in, in, in the right direction. And to put all of our eggs into a Christian Pulisic basket is understandable, but as I said in the State of the Union earlier uh, when we talked about it, uh, there may be others. There may be others that can provide what you want and that we might not have talked about and may not have seen. And that's a good thing. Uh, that's a good thing to have that type of, uh, of confidence. And strange things happen in our game and strange things happen in life. And what we think is the path and what we think is the line and what we think is going to happen sometimes doesn't. And sometimes we end up being better off for that. It doesn't mean that we... that from a Christian Pulisic perspective, we don't continue to support him, and I want him to do well. I want him to do well for him. I certainly want him to do well for the U.S. national team, and yes, I always want an American to do well for what it means, but no matter how well an American does, it doesn't change everything. It's about the work that is done, the work of men and women that kick the ball, and yes, the work of the men and women that many of them you will never ever know their names off the field that continue, including you that are listening, you that are watching. This is, this is la cosa nostra. This is our thing. This is our labor of love. And it doesn't end just because a player does well at the highest level. It doesn't end just because we win a World Cup. That's not how things work. To be quite honest, it never ends. But it gets better. It gets better day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. And that's why having people that are working on and off the field, making it better and recognizing and respecting the time and effort that is put in to make it better is important. doesn't mean we can't disagree. It doesn't mean that we can't adamantly disagree about things that we're doing and directions. But ultimately, we are all hoping that there are people and things that make us better as a soccer playing nation. All right, Mossy, anything before we go? Nope. 
Thank you for listening. As always, wherever you are, please continue to write and subscribe and to download and to rate and to review and do all of those different things on all of those different platforms. We will be back again uh, next week. As I said, I'm on the road, but I will be back here in Los Angeles in our studio. As you can see from my background, a studio that continues to evolve, just like the game of soccer in the United States. We continue to get to evolve and to get prettier and brighter. And in this case, bluer. It's almost, I was saying earlier, the backdrop of those wonderful, and I put that wonderful in quotes, denim jerseys that we had back in 1994. Dare I say we could put the faux denim pattern up there, or at least some stars and some red and white stripes up there. So who knows? But it's, it's getting better. We're getting better for you. I hope you appreciate it. We appreciate you. We will talk again next week. And as always, size the day. <laughs>